bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these big signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello. I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, August 27, 2013. I am in Columbus, Ohio today, participating in the Bipartisan Housing Commission's public forum. House Ways and Means Select Revenue Subcommittee Chairman Pat Tiberi is keynoting at lunch today. I'll report on the event in more detail next Tuesday. I'll start this week's podcast with comments from Senate Finance Committee Chairman Max Baucus about the new market tax credit and tax reform. I'll also have some audio excerpts. Then, in our low-income housing tax credit segment, I'll discuss the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development's Hurricane Sandy rebuilding strategy. Then, in our historic tax credit discussion, I have a state-level update from Kentucky about the use of the state and federal historic tax credit. I'll also discuss a recently announced National Park Service workshop that's taking place in Detroit next month. In this week's New Market Tax Credit section, I alert listeners to the Community Development Financial Institutions Fund's updates to the 2013-2014 New Market Tax Credit application question and answer document. And finally, in our Renewable Energy Tax Credit discussion, I reveal the contents of a Renewable Energy Tax Credit Advocacy Letter that more than 60 representatives in the U.S. House have endorsed. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, I begin with an update on tax reform that comes only a few blocks away from the Novograd and Company National Headquarters. Senator Max Baucus and Representative Dave Camp stopped at San Francisco-based Square last week on their tax reform tour. Square is a mobile payment technology producer. The congressman visited the company to discuss simplifying the tax code. As at other stops along the tour, the congressman met with company representatives and discussed what changes to the tax code could benefit the company. After the closed-door meeting, the congressman took a few questions, including one about the new market tax credit. Let's listen to what Senator Bach has had to say. New market tax credits, along with virtually every other tax expenditure, are all on the table. That is, we're starting from a clean slate. We're building back and looking at which provisions make the most sense. And um, that is one that's going to have some support and some sponsors. But there are many others, too. Research and development tax credit um, is very important as well. So it's up to us and the Congress to figure out which of these make the most sense. Because the goal here is to reduce the number of credits and deductions exclusions, etc., so that we can lower rates, and so we can have a simpler tax code. And the more we add back, the more we create more complexity. So it's important to do all we can to keep the code simple, but be realistic and look at the provisions like the one you mentioned to see whether or not it makes sense. Now, this is similar to what we've been hearing from Senator Baucus as he visits businesses across the nation. 
He and Representative Camp have both been pushing for simplification of the tax code. Yet, his comments indicate that there is room in the code for effective income tax credit programs. That's why the New Market Tax Credit Coalition, along with the broader New Market Tax Credit community, is working on a letter asking Congress to make the New Market's tax credit permanent. The program has been encouraging economic development for more than a decade, and we'd all like to see that continue. Since 2003, the program has contributed to the creation of 350,000 jobs, and it has leveraged $55 billion into credit-starved businesses in low-income communities. A similar letter urging the extension of the New Market Tax Credit and Localizing Tax Credit programs in July had more than 1,200 supporters. Now, we'd love to see at least that many organizations sign on to the New Market Tax Credit Coalition letter. You can find a copy of the letter at www.nmtccoalition.org. Please go to the website and add your name. I'd also encourage you to send a personal appeal to Senator Bacchus and Representative Camp via the taxreform.gov website. In local housing tax credit news, let's travel to the other side of the country for some news about the low-income housing tax credit and Hurricane Sandy. Last week, the Obama administration released the Hurricane Sandy Rebuilding Strategy. The plan has two main objectives. One, it outlines how federal and state governments will continue to invest in the areas affected by Hurricane Sandy. And two, it's a model for communities across the country facing risks from extreme weather. There are two primary objectives are broken into 69 policy recommendations. These policy recommendations look to help homeowners stay and repair their homes, strengthen small businesses, revitalize local economies, and ensure that communities are better able to withstand and recover from future natural disasters. The strategy relies heavily on the use of low-income housing tax credits, historic preservation incentives, and community development block grants help rebuild areas affected by Hurricane Sandy. The plan notes several things that agencies did to mitigate Sandy's effects and help rebuild the area. For instance, the Department of the Treasury and the Internal Revenue Service lifted income eligibility restrictions for long-term tax credit finance developments. This allowed displaced residents to rent units in these buildings. The U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development allocated $5.2 billion dollars in community development block grants in New York State, New York City, and New Jersey. As part of the plan, HUD required grantees to use these CDBG funds to support public and HUD-assisted multifamily housing and subsidized and tax credit-assisted affordable housing. Further, it required grantees to identify how they'll address rehabilitation, mitigation, and new construction needs of affected public housing agencies. New Jersey set aside $179 million in CDBG funds to address these needs. New York State provided $10 million to assist public housing units. And New York City committed $120 million to design and improve public housing. HUD Secretary Sean Donovan, chair of the, of the Hurricane Sandy Rebuilding Task Force, said on the HUD blog that the administration has assisted almost 250,000 people and thousands of businesses. In addition to the long housing tax credit and HUD programs, historic preservation incentives have also played a key role in the plan. 
a large percentage of affected housing infrastructure is listed on, or at least eligible, for the National Register of Historic Places. And historic tax credits can be used to help finance the redevelopment of these structures that have been affected by a natural disaster. Congress also appropriated $50 million from the Historic Preservation Fund. This money is allocated to tribal, state, and local preservation grants, and commercial property owners can use the funds to pay for comprehensive preservation studies, National Register nominations, and historic structural reports, among other things. The funds could also help offset some of the pre-development costs the developers will face if they undertake renovation projects in Sandy-affected areas. Now, if you want to read more about the Hurricane Sandy rebuilding strategy, visit www.hud.gov. And if you have thoughts on the strategy, send us an email to cpas at novaco.com. In historic tax credit news, I have a state-level update from Kentucky. The Kentucky Heritage Council held a news conference in Maysville, Kentucky last week. The news conference was to underline the success and importance of federal and state historic rehabilitation tax credits. The Kentucky Heritage Council administers both the state and federal historic tax credits. The conference focused on how rehabilitating a single historic building in a commercial district can benefit an entire community. The Heritage Council said that many of those projects are made possible, though, only with the use of state and federal historic tax credits. Here were some of the main points. Since its inception in 2005, the Kentucky State Historic Tax Credit has helped complete 47 projects. Those projects represent $17 million in public and private investment. Rehabilitation of the average downtown commercial building on a Kentucky Main Street generates about $360,000 in private investment. The Council expects 2013 to be a big year for the state credit. For all commercial residential rehab projects this year, the state credit is expected to generate nearly $79 million of estimated investment in 113 projects. Budgets for the projects range from $23,000 to $7.5 million. Tax credit allocations similarly range from a low of $2,300 to $200,000. The state credit is much more effective when it's coupled with the federal historic tax credit, which comes as no real surprise. Since 2005, projects using the Kentucky State Historic Tax Credit along with the federal credit have resulted in over $250 million in public and private investment. This includes 425 completed residential and commercial developments. On average, a project has about $600,000 in private investment, $45,000 in state credits, and about $200,000 in federal credit. Overall, the state credit costs Kentucky only $5 million per year for all this activity. These numbers, we believe, help show just how effectively the state and federal historic tax credit can spur investment and development in Kentucky communities. Now let's turn to the National Park Service. It seems that Novigrad and Company won't be the only one discussing historic tax credits in Detroit, the Motor City, next month. The National Park Service will be holding a free workshop about the Federal Historic Rehabilitation Tax Credit at the State Historic Preservation Office in Detroit next month. The workshop will provide an overview of the historic tax credit programs fundamental principles, eligibility requirements, and application process. The session was planned in response to a report released earlier this year that included a set of action items. 
that are intended to improve and expand the use of the historic tax credit. The report, as you may recall from prior podcasts, was commissioned by then Interior Secretary Ken Salazar after a visit to Detroit. The federal historic tax credit has helped spark revitalization in Detroit in recent years. Some of the projects in Detroit include the Fort Shelby Hotel, the College of Creative Studies Argonaut Building, and projects in the Palmer Park Apartment Historic District. Now, the workshop will take place on September 11th at 3.30 p.m. in the Michigan State Housing Development Authority Southeast Michigan Office. That's the MISHTA Southeast Michigan Office. While the event's free, you still do need to register by sending an email with your contact information to preservation at michigan.gov. And make sure to put Tax Credit Workshop in the subject line. And while we're speaking of Detroit and the Historic Tax Credit, I invite you to join us next month for the Novogratz Historic Tax Credit Conference. It's September 19th and 20th, with a basics day on the 18th. We'll discuss the latest historic tax credit industry news and issues, including the fallout from the historic Boardwalk Hall ruling. You can register online at www.novoco.com events. If you register before September 2nd, you'll get the early bird discount. And, in case you're wondering, we are hopeful that the much-awaited IRS Revenue Procedure Safe Harbor on Partnership Historic Tax Credit Transactions will be released by the time of the conference. And if it is, it will certainly be a subject of considerable discussion in Detroit. In new market tax credit news, I have an update from the Community Development Financial Institutions Fund. The CDFI Fund last week issued an updated 2013-2014 New Markets Tax Credit Program Application Q&A. The document includes the original Q&A guidance that the CDFI Fund released on July 24th. However, it also answers specific questions asked during two application round conference calls on July 30th and August 1st. The revised guidance covers topics including community outcomes, raising capital from investors, and applicant track records of financing activities. One of the new questions, question number 41, concerns the practice of partnering with other community development entities, CDEs, to provide allocation to a qualified local community business. The applicant wanted to know whether the CDFI fund viewed a higher number of small investments more favorably than investments in fewer projects where the CDE was the only allocatee. The CDFI fund responded that it gives no preference based on the number or size of investments made with each allocation. It said that applicants would be evaluated on the quality of their past new market tax credit experiences and whether previous investments were consistent with the business strategies in their previously successful applications. Another revision removed question 50 from the original July Q&A document because it's no longer applicable. Question 50 had asked how an organization should calculate the portion of community outcomes created in new market tax credit investments that involve multiple CDEs. The original answer was that it was prorated. In the revised document, Question 50 and its answer were removed and addressed under a newly created Section D. In the revised document, the CDFI fund said an applicant will not be evaluated simply on the number of projected community outcomes. Instead, an applicant will be evaluated on its ability to quantify projected community outcomes, methodology and assumptions for projecting those outcomes, and its track record of achieving similar outcomes with prior investments. You can find a copy of the revised document 
at www.newmarketscredits.com. And if you have any questions regarding the application process or any other New Market Tax Credit questions, call my partner, Owen Gray, in our San Francisco office, or Brad Elphick in our Atlanta, Georgia office. Brad, as you know, also heads up the New Market Tax Credit Working Group. Moving on to renewable energy tax credit news, two weeks ago, three representatives sent a letter to the House Ways and Means Committee advocating for renewable energy tax reform. The representatives who sent the bipartisan letter were Representatives Raul Ruiz, a Democrat from California, John Runyon, Republican from New Jersey, and Congressman Earl Blumenauer from Oregon. The letter was also endorsed by 60 additional representatives from both sides of the aisle. Furthermore, the letter was endorsed by the American Wind Energy Association, the Solar Energy Industries Association, and the Geothermal Energy Association. The letter said that with an estimated 3.4 million green jobs in the United States, the industry needs more policy certainty. The letter went on to say that increasing policy certainty would help ensure that American consumers continue to benefit from renewable energy innovations, while at the same time diversifying the economy. Including renewable energy policies and tax reform, according to the latter, would accomplish three things. Create jobs, grow domestic manufacturing, and produce sustainable American-made energy. The letter went on to say that renewable energy is one of the most important areas of economic growth for the 21st century. It said that the U.S. wind energy industry grew by 28% last year. This growth set a new installation record, and it supported about 80,000 American jobs. That's the U.S. wind energy industry. The U.S. solar market grew by 76% and supported 119,000 American jobs in 2012. During that same year, however, the United States experienced a 34% decrease in renewable energy investment. The letter said that the decrease in investment was a result of policy uncertainty. In closing, the representatives asked the House Ways and Means Committee to include policies that promote renewable energy growth as the committee continues developing tax reform legislation. Now, in an announcement about the letter, Representative Runyon said that the solar and wind energy industries play a substantial role in the New Jersey economy and that tax reform favoring renewable energy growth would create jobs in New Jersey. Representative Blumenauer said that strong energy tax reform would create jobs across Oregon and the United States, strengthen national security by reducing dependence on foreign oil, and help address global warming. And Representative Ruiz said that fellow congressmen need to work together in order to advocate for renewable energy jobs, domestic manufacturing, and American energy independence. Now, if you want to see the text of the letter, go to www.ruiz.house.gov. That's www.ruiz.house.gov. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. Next week's episode will include a breakdown of the recently released Change 4 to HUD Handbook 5350.3 Rev-1. It's entitled Occupancy Requirements of Subsidized Multifamily Housing Programs. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next week. 
Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novoco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik and Company, LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.